0: Emmanuel, God with us, that's what we're going to be focused on today. So if you have a Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 1 through verse 7. So Father, thank you for this group of people. You've assembled like a specific group today, and you want to say and do some specific things, and just pray that you'd help, help us to, to get it, to get what you have for us, to apprehend it, to walk away full. Just welcome your Holy Spirit's presence. Anoint your word, Lord. Anoint it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Okay. This is what the text says, starting in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Here's the prophecy. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, or your translation may say those who have lived in the land of the shadow of death, on them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoiced before you as with joy before the harvest. And they are glad as when they divide the spoils. For the yoke of his burden... And the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, you have shattered, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is a great passage. And the context of this passage is Isaiah is a prophet of Israel. It's in the 8th century B.C. And what has happened is the people of God became so prosperous in in the previous 50 years. They they were wealthy and they were content and they lived a lavish life. They drank a lot. They were full of self-pleasure. And they had walked away from God. And, and God sends prophets, and, and he, he warned them. And during this time, what had happened is the world power, the geopolitical power in this day, was the nation of Assyria. And there was a king. His name is Tilgath-Pileser Third. He was the ruler of Assyria. And during this time, they, they had mustered this conquering army, and they invaded Israel. And as of this prophecy that Isaiah's spoken out, uh, Assyria has already invaded into the, the northern part of Israel, which is the it's called Galilee of the nations, Galilee of the Gentiles. It's where folks like you and I would, would have lived. And these two areas, Zabulon and Naphtali, were, were just decimated. The people, the, the every, they lost everything, and people were deported and sent to Assyria to be slaves. And Isaiah writes this prophecy, he sees a vision, and he speaks to what is, he sees what is, and then he speaks to what is yet to come. And the amazing thing is, is what is is horrible, what is to come is spectacularly beautiful. And he, he utters this prophecy to God's people. And, and the, the, the picture of the beginning of this chapter is there's two realities that he sees, what is and what is yet to come, because there's two rulers, one that is and one that is yet to come. And that's what this chapter is about. And the, the what is part under the Assyrian uh, domination, he paints a picture in, chapter, in verse one that says it's, it's, it's gloom. There's anguish in verse one. It's, and the word there for, for anguish is, uh, it, it, it comes from this word, this Hebrew word, to be constrained, to be hemmed in. It's actually, it's actually translated frozen in other places. It's to be crushed and cold and alone and dark. Can you picture that? It says that the, 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 it's the land that, of the shadow of darkness. So there's a shadow casting death upon this land. The people that have remained, that aren't enslaved, are enslaved because there's a yoke around their neck and a bar across their shoulders and a a rod that beats them. It is the tyrant of oppression. This is what is. And Isaiah sees another reality, a coming reality in Emmanuel, in God with us, in the coming and the advent of Messiah Jesus. And, and he, his picture, where there's gloom in, in, in verse one, it's glory. It's glorious. Where there's constraint, it's expansion and multiplication and increase. As of, in celebration, like when the harvest comes and you celebrate and feast, is what was the reality of this new king. It's like when there's a great victory and you get what you lost and you get more back, you get the spoils of victory what's been taken from you, restored, and then some. It is a culture where righteousness and justice are supreme. This is the picture that he's proclaiming, and he's proclaiming it over the most unlikely place. He said the light is going to shine there in Galilee of the Gentiles. That's where it's going to come, the most unlikely place. And so there's these two realities, and there's two rulers. And Tilgath pleaser, he does, he's not very pleasing to anyone other than himself because he's, he's a tyrant, and he's, he's, he's wicked, and he's evil, and he's you know, oppressive. And this coming Emmanuel, this child that will be a son, that will be a king, that will be called Mighty God, that people will look to and wonder what God the Father is like and say, God the Father is good because Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father, exact representation of his nature and character, no confusion, no muddiness, no perceived darkness of God. It's an amazing reality. And, you know, life under a foreign oppressive God—that's the picture of what life is like when we live in sin apart from God. It's horrible. It starts out tasting great, and then it devours you. You guys know this, right? You experienced this. It's horrible. And if you've ever, there's some there's some words in this that are like really like the. That are reminiscent of the psalmist David, and he, and he says uh, the Galilee is like the land of the shadow of death. That, and he talks about a staff and a rod. Does that sound familiar to you in any of the psalms? What psalm? Psalm twenty-three. And so, in this picture of the reality of an oppressive, evil, horrible ruler, the reality is that it's that it's that. It's horrible. And he, in the picture is that that there's a a burden upon your neck, that there's a rod, oppressive rod. It's authority that crushes and controls and, and, and wounds and exploits. And in Psalm 23, the same words are used of a different ruler, a good shepherd. What, what does it say? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Jump to verse 4. And I love the King James because this is so good. What does it say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are, what was that? With me. Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. You are with me. David saw it. And then he even says that the very instruments of oppression become, what does it say? Your rod and your staff, what do they do? They comfort. they comfort. See how different it is? It's two different kings, two different realities. One is horrible. One is good. One is pursuing you to bless you, and one is pursuing you to devour you. This is what Isaiah sees, incredible picture of, of God. Jesus and this coming Messiah is going to turn the world upside down because his, his kingdom is upside down. It says, look at this. It says that, you know, on the shoulders uh, of the people was a yoke of oppression. Jesus come and shatters the yoke, and it says in verse 6 that the government shall be on his shoulders, that he carries it all. He doesn't put stuff on us. He carries it all. It's on him. It's a different kind of leader. It's not a guy that sits in an office and everything feeds him. It's, it, is, it is a servant leader that comes and carries and sustains and serves and blesses all. It's a different kind of king. And then it's, you know, it says that, that he's going to be called these names. Someone has got to see this child, this son, for who he is. That he is, in fact, the mighty God. Emmanuel that Jesus, that mighty God, came to this earth in, in the form of a child, it became a son, that this, this son is the, it's the wonderful counsel, the word that really is supernatural in counsel, He he can see things that no one can see. Amazing supernatural encounter, that he is the everlasting father. So people struggle with fa- fathers because they don't have good fathers. They don't understand, what, and they say, God must be dark. Jesus is the perfect picture of the father, of the everlasting father. And he, he carries peace. And, and see, the, the thing about his kingdom is, is that the kingdom of, the, of this world and religious kingdoms advance by violence. We see that every day, Right? Every day in this world, it's violence. And the church was guilty of it (laughs) under, you know, the Holy Roman Empire. We would invade lands and say, come to Christ or we'll kill you. Violence. Come to God or you lose your life. You don't come to God that way. This kingdom advances with peace. The increase of his government and peace is without end. They're hand in hand. And we're going to see that a little bit later when we... Look at another story in the Old Testament. Just a different reality. It's an expansive reality. Look at the language in this section. It says that you have multiplied the nations, that that when Messiah comes, new people get called into the family of God. It's always about about evangelism and drawing in people that that are on the outside and bring them on the inside. There's expansion, multiplication in the nation. That when Eben and Rufus... Did you, did you sense joy? Did you sense how joy is contagious, that it increases when it's present in a room? He says that under this realm, that the joy will be increased. It, it, it can't contain it. Joy is contagious. It's wonderfully contagious. And that's a mark of the kingdom. It says the increase of his government and peace will be without, it, it, without end. It'll increase and it'll never stop increasing, ever, till it fills all and is in all. And there's a king that this child will be the eternal king that will rule forever and ever and ever on David's throne. It's expansive. It's happening right now, all over the world, it's happening inside people's hearts. It's happening in this this reality uh, that Isaiah saw is a prophecy and a promise for all generations. It is. So we read this and we think, "Wow, okay, that's like big, right? That's big. How does that? How, do, how does how do we?" How do we apprehend that? What is our role in that? Is this just something that God does and we're passive participants? What do we do? What does it look like for us to be involved in this? And the key to understanding this is the, the, really I think the interpretive key to understanding this passage is, is this little phrase in verse 4 where Isaiah says that he says that you, it's talking about oppression being broken. And he says you have broken it as on the day of Midian. He's drawing a comparison. There was a deliverance, an intervention of God on the day of Midian. It's going to be just like that. Now, everyone in the 8th century B.C. is like they knew what that meant. You know what that's about? It's about this guy named Gideon. It is the same story with different players, different actors. It's the same story. And there's this man that becomes kind of like an archetype. For you know, press, like, of what Christ will be and what God's inviting the church to be, this man Gideon. So here's the deal. The, the, this guy Gideon, he, he lived in the north of Israel, and during that time, which is about 450 years prior to when Isaiah writes this, there was another uh, oppressive nation. The, the Midianites came in. They invaded the land. They were, they, they would, they were called locusts. They, they would invade. They, so dense was their armies that everything green would be devoured. Like every vegetable, every animal was, was taken. People ran to the caves and hid from the Midianites. And, and, and that's in, in Judges uh, chapter 6 and chapter 7 is when this story is told. And there's this young man, his name is Gideon. He's from the weakest clan in Manasseh. He's the least in his family. And he's hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat, so no one can see him because he's trying to get food to survive. And so here he is, he's afraid and he's hiding and he's trying to make some flour. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and says to him, he says, the Lord is with you. See, there it is again. The Lord is with you. Emmanuel, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I like some translations say mighty man of valor. I love that. That sounds kind of Tolkienish, doesn't it? Like <laughs> And Gideon is like I mean he's like you and me. He's kind of like, "What?" You know what I mean? Like seriously. He knows himself. It's like, "Wait, you got the wrong guy." Right? But he becomes a type of what it what God is looking for that he can show his power. Is a type, and so um, the amazing thing is, is the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. When the angel of the Lord shows up, sometimes, not all the times, it's actually like a theophany. And so that what that means is that it's a, it's like God coming, or, G, or, or some people think it's the pre-incarnate Christ. that comes, the, the the angel of the Lord, and so that's what I think. I think Jesus showed up and met him. Emmanuel came and said, "Hey." I see you different than you see yourself. Come on, we got work to do. You're gonna deliver your people. And Gideon's all excited. He says, hold on, hold on, I I, I wanna make lunch. So he runs and he says, don't go. And he goes and he gets like, I think it's like a goat and unleavened bread and he brings this broth out and he comes out. There's this big stone and he presents it to the angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord said, hey, I want you to put that on the rock and take the broth and pour the broth all over the meat and the bread. And there's this key principle that Gideon does, that he that he that he it says in Numbers that he did as the Lord had said. It's really important. What was asked of him, he said yes to. He did it. And and then the angel of the Lord put out his staff, and fire came from the rock and consumed the gift. We see that later in the scriptures as well, right? Amazing picture. And so Gideon is a man that is weak and afraid and small, but he obeys when God says, do this, when Jesus says, do this. And it doesn't stop there. It continues. After that, he says, oh, by the way, there's, a, there's an altar of Baal in the center of your town. Mission number two, go knock it down and put an altar of the Lord there. And Gideon's like, oh, my gosh, they're going to kill me. So he gets 10 of his servants, and he's afraid. You understand he's afraid? And he goes at night and cuts down this false altar, and he builds an altar to the Lord. He does it at night. He's afraid, but he does it. He does it. And, you know, when we think about courage, you think about courageous people. If you know someone that's really courageous and bold, and you think, you know, courage isn't just that, it's just not that they never... They never have opposition or fear. Courage is when you're faced with something that scares you that you do what's right, that you move through it. That's courage, Preach. you know? And that's what God's teaching him and modeling for us. So he does that. He, he obeys. And then it continues, is that Gideon musters the army. And this, the Midianite army was 120,000 people. 120,000 soldiers. And so Midian or and, and Gideon musters his army and when they're all together the count is 32,000. So l- roughly it's it, there's four midianites to every one Israelite. It's not good, right? Well, the Lord there and says, "You got too many people." <laughs> you got too many people? And so he tells Gideon, hey, gather the people, the thirty thousand. ask them, hey, is anyone afraid? The guys that say they're afraid, send them home. And he does. And like 22,000 people go home. So he's got 10,000 soldiers. And the, what does the Lord say? Too many, Too many people. <laughs> he does. Too many. And so he says, now, here's what I want you to do. Go down by the river and watch how they drink. And some of the guys are going to get on their hands and knees and drink, you know, like from from the from the stream. And then there's going to be some of the, the, the guys are going to dip their hands in the water and hold the water and go like this, like a dog. And those guys, the dog lappers, <laughs> they that's your army. Isn't that good? So encouraging. (laughs) So do you know how many there were? There's 300. 300. So the army is down to 300. It's it's 120,000 to 300. So the odds went from 4 to 1 to 400 to 1. And then God says, perfect. (laughs) This is perfect. This is the right amount. Because this is what I can use when I show my strength and weakness. Amazing reality. And so all along, Gideon is, is a picture, a type, of someone that obeys even though it doesn't make sense, even though it's like, really? That's, that's a bad idea. You know, and, and God is looking for people that will trust him and do what he says, even if it doesn't always add up. Do you know what I mean? He is. And then he shows himself strong. So, so again, he's saying yes to it. Now, it, it gets even better. So, so they get these 300 guys, and they go to the camp of where the Midianites are. And they're 120,000. And the, the Lord says, okay, break up into, into three groups of 100, and I'm going to show you what to do. So he talks to Gideon, gives, gives them the download. This is what we're going to do. And Gideon says, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. And, and so you know what their armament is? Their armament is a trumpet, a torch, and a jar. That's what they go to battle with. They don't have any swords drawn. There's no artillery or Apache helicopters. (laughs) And he says, go there. And so they they come around the camp. It's at night again. And and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get right around the camp, and I want you to blow the trumpet. All of us blow the trumpet, and we finish blowing the trumpet. We're going to take our jar and smash it. Then we're going to light a torch and hold it with our left hand and hold the trumpet in our right hand and scream, for the Lord and for Gideon. And you're going to see what I'm going to do. And they obey him. Again, they obey him. And there's no violence on the part of the the Israelites, all the violence is done by they turn on each other. Evil, t- evil always turns on each, on itself. It's unsustainable, and and the the Midianites devour themselves, and the Israelites are standing there just seeing this, seeing God allow them to destroy themselves. It's not violence or conquest. It's a different advancement. Remember, I said the kingdom advances. Not by violence, but by peace. That's what's happening. That's the model. It's a really cool picture. And then this whole or d- deal happens and they, it plays out that they, they, they leave. And there's great. And so Isaiah says, This is how this happens. At the end of chapter nine, he says, Who's going to do all the work? The zeal of the Lord will do this. But we have a role to play. Now, albeit it's a small role, but it's a significant role in the kingdom, for us to say yes to the things that God's going to ask us to do. And he's going to ask us to do some stuff that may not make sense or that we don't like or we think it's a bad idea. We have a better plan. But he's looking for a people that will love him and trust him and say yes. And then you stand back and you see what he does, what what he's able to do. Phenomenal. There's a lot of similarities in this story, I believe, with with Cleveland. You know, like in the 20s, we were the fifth largest city in America. At the turn of the century, the 20th century, we were one of the richest cities in the nation, with Millionaires Row from downtown and Euclid Avenue, from from like, what is it, West 11 or East 11th to like East 55th, the richest address in the country was there. Rockefeller, all the, Hannah, Rockefeller, all the, the biggest mansions were there. We were the center of oil production for the whole world. Do you know that? And, and we've been brought low. We've been humbled, right? People make fun of us around the nation. They, they do we're galilee of the nations and we're and we are we're such an international city like there's immigrants coming all the time now from albania and from you know eastern europe and india and you know greece yeah like we're we're a city of the nations and we're 300 strong We may not be the smartest or the strongest, right? God likes that about us. Do you know that? Because then when people see, they're going to say, surely that was the Lord. Because it couldn't have been them, right? This, I mean, I, I don't want to, but I think there's some real commonality that God wants to do something. I really do. And I think prophetically, like this is a prophetic word in time, but it's a prophetic word in our time. Mark Marks and Linda Marks are really dear friends of Evan and Sarah's, and we were like, like it was awesome that they came to see us. Um, if, if you were part of the conference, and he spoke, like, what, three, four weeks ago, and, he, you know, we were having lunch one, one time, and Mark said, well, I didn't come here just because you invited me. I came here because the Lord told me to come here, because the Lord's going to do something. In one sense, because I thought, you know, Eben and Sarah had this. They levered their relationship, and he came. And Mark said, "Well, I do love them, but I came because the Lord told me to come. The Lord's going to do something here. And do you remember? He doesn't know our history about our river catching on fire, and you know, the, one of the poorest large cities in the nation. He doesn't know any of that. And remember, he spoke to us, and he said that you're the head, not the tail. Remember that? And one day we were we were all having lunch, and. And Mark's wife had a dream, and she shared the dream with Sarah, Evan, and Anya and I. And I think it's really important. This is the dream, and I think it's uh, it's it's coming. But she she had, she said she had this dream the night before, and she was um, she said I don't have dreams that much. I'm not like a you know it's not it's really unusual. But she had this dream, and she was she saw she was on a highway like a road, and there was water around it, and that, that she could see the sun shining down on the highway, and, and like you were driving in, there was the sun shining down, and then she uh, looked to the right, or she looked off the road, and she saw whales jumping out of the water, uh, you know, and, and splashing, and she said, this is just so odd, I don't, I don't know what, what, what to make of this, and, um, and I think it's really, 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 really true, really powerful. Think about it. I mean, the sun is there, right? In this passage, it talks about that God will make glorious the, uh, the way of the Gentiles. There's actually a road called in, this, in Rome. It's called the Via Maris, and it was the road that Jesus walked on, and it connects Egypt with Damascus. And there's a road that this, this, that this sun is going to shine on in this passage. Well, she's on a road, and she sees the sun shining on it, and she looks to the right, and there's, there's whales do you know the, what is, I, I asked for, Pacific Life, right? You know the whale coming out? That's what she saw. And now, okay, now think about this. How many of you guys have been driving on the East Shore way, driving towards downtown? You guys with me? You, you pass the Illuminating Company, you pass CEI, and, and, and Cleveland Electric Powers on the right-hand side, right? And there's a big building with a gigantic mural on it. What's the mural? Yes, come on! Isn't that crazy that she had that dream? And and uh, what's powerful is that she she's from Ireland. They were they're from Ireland, so they're they're an island nation. So there's seas around them. We're an inland lake, so there's no like, wh- You know what I mean? We don't have whales, but apparently God thinks we have whales because He wants to bring life. Do you understand the picture there? Like life that doesn't belong here, like like Pacific life, big life, it wants to come to our town. Like heaven, th- isn't that cool? That's cool. Isn't that cool? I just think it's amazing. And we're going to close because it's really important too because if you guys have been a part of our church for a while, that when, when our church started, it was this similar vision that, that God gave to Rick driving down the East Shore way. But it was, it, 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 Rick's vision, it, it's, it's earlier on. It's more towards Euclid it's you know and this is we're we're further on down the road and god's saying hey i want to bring incredible life to you like big life like life that doesn't belong in a place like this and that it's a great invitation isn't that incredible i believe it's true and i think god is looking for people to say yes to it and believe in it